Okay, welcome to the Inner Transformations podcast. I'm here today with my guest, Ellen Drummonds Curtis. Hello. And um, uh, just as a way of introduction, I have uh, met uh, Ellen at the uh, Unity of Yukaipa Church. And I heard her give a, a wonderful poetry reading there at a summer solstice celebration. Yes. And I uh, was very impressed by that. Have uh, since um, uh, looked at her website and, and read, she has a, quite a bit of a poetry there to share. Uh, what can you uh, tell us the name of your website, the address of your website? The website is called Ellen Enchantment Divination. So, like my name, Ellen, and then Enchantment, but all together, E L L E N C H A N T. M-A-N-T, Ellen Chapman, Divinations, Divinations, where I perform tarot and oracle readings. You can contact me for those. Right. Right. So um, how, how long have you been doing um, card readings? Gosh, now, for about five or six years, but it's picked up more recently. I work with the Holistic Registry and uh-huh. Meta Studies Institute, and I infuse astrology, numerology, and understandings of the chakra system within my readings. Okay, wonderful. Wonderful. What? Uh, um, well, if if um, if you want, we could talk a little bit about how did you, how did you get started? I have a really dear friend who is really influential to me in so many respects. She started showing me card readings and just getting really into you know the spirit of of oracular visioning and uh, really inspiring insights into guidance from spirit and I really latched on to that quickly and ever since then I just I've been increasingly getting a few more decks every so often and one of my favorite decks to use is the Keepers of the Light Oracle by Kyle Gray from Hay House oh okay it features different ascended masters oh okay wonderful yeah I'm I'm a I'm a kind of a fan of Kyle Gray (laughs) nice I'm in fact I'm in the midst of um doing his uh angelic uh, guide um, uh, course. You know, oh, so, beautiful. So, yeah. He's got a great spirit to him. Uh-huh. So you've been at this for, uh, for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when did you first uh, start to realize that you, were, that you had these psychic abilities? Well, I really started noticing that when my mood is more ecstatic and elevated I'm able to kind of intuit or kind of feel and sense uh, information about a person like for example around what time they were born I've been able to pinpoint years and months and days when someone's been born or uh, I'll know how many siblings they have or you know what what grade they teach that kind of thing and um, a lot of it's been through kind of the process of spiritual awakening and having um, episodes of what may be called spiritual emergence or uh, activations, light body activations. And uh, I have a bipolar diagnosis that I'm really open about. And I really love like the idea that shamanic healers have come over to the United States and have realized that many people on psychiatric wards are actually being born again as healers of the planet because so many people when they have episodes of of extreme emotion or hallucinations as they're called delusions whichever 
that they're actually experiencing interdimensionality. I love okay. I yeah. love what's said about attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. That ADHD is actually attention dialed into a higher dimension. That's actually um, uh, somewhat commonly discussed way of breaking down that 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 abbreviation. And I, I I'm just really am inspired by different interpretations of what could be like say a near death experience, or an out of body experience, or a kundalini awakening or a mystical experience. There there's so many terms out there that can actually more accurately describe some of what these patients are experiencing. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I'm familiar with uh well I I'm uh, uh I I've been a therapist for a number of years and, mm-hmm. and I really got interested in the um in the idea of a spiritual crisis. Right. As um, um as as disc- you know as a, a different way of looking at um uh, you know, a psychotic episode or the right. kind, of, kind of things that, that well, get people in the hospital. Right. Psych, psych in, in Greek means mind, but psyche with the E at the end means soul in Greek. Right. So, and then osis means like condition of. So it's condition of the mind. It's an experience that enlivens all the essence of a person while they're kind of reaching for a dimension that maybe the average person doesn't normally see. Uh-huh. Yeah. So part of the, uh, uh, so as I understand, it, part of the the awakening process. Well, you know, in in quotation marks, whatever that is, part of the awakening process for people often feels like going crazy. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> yeah. So I think we've all gone through some some aspect of that. Yeah, I think it's crazy beautiful. Honestly, I, I um, I've met so many amazing people in hospitals and. Even like the staff, they would give me keywords, and I would write poetry based on the keywords they gave, and that was one of the ways I I kept myself busy in different hospitals over the years. And I'm I'm really an advocate for medication, but mindful medication. So like kind of being very aware of what you're taking and incorporating like lifestyle changes, like you know better eating habits, more exercise, things like that, along with a medication regimen. I think okay. that can be very yeah. helpful. But at the same time, I think being around one's peers is extremely important as well. Okay. Like a soul family, a soul tribe. Somebody you can relate to. Somebody exactly, that Somebody yeah. understands where you're, where you're coming from. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, um, well, thank you. Um, let's, let's switch gears, I guess, uh, uh-huh. um, and talk a little bit about um, uh, both of you and I share an interest in the... Uh, in, uh, in the Gnostics, yes, the early Gnostic uh, Christianity, mm-hmm. and um, and also along with that is the um, uh, this idea of the the um, divine feminine. Yes, uh, and uh, in the Gnostic texts, often called uh, Sophia. Right. Um, do, do you want to talk a little bit about the, the what the divine feminine means to you? Yes. So, Sophia is considered among many the creatrix the mother of all creation the one who is the goddess of wisdom or lady wisdom even in proverbs in the bible and she speaks in there and it's really profound and she is a representative of the pure light from which she emanates so it is even believed that she incarnated 
during the time of Jesus in order to be with him. And she incarnated as Mary Magdalene. As Mary Magdalene, yeah. Mm-hmm. Who, who I've heard referred to as the, uh, as the feminine Christ. Exactly. Yeah. And Magdalene in Aramaic, which is the language that Jesus spoke, similar to Hebrew but with some other flavors, means towering woman. Towering woman, okay. Yeah, because it refers to Migdal, or many people, many scholars believe that there was perhaps uh, a city called Migdal or Magdala, um, but some other scholars believe that that city occurred after her life. So there's just... It basically was a fishing town, fishing village, and it makes sense because during Jesus' time, we were experiencing the age of Pisces, which is the fish, the fins, the feet in the zodiac, right? Because uh-huh. different zodiac signs have corresponding body parts, and so when Jesus is referred to as the Alpha and the Omega, it refers to when he was likely born on April 17th and 6th BCE, uh, on the the cusp between the transition of Pisces, the fish, to Aries, the ram. Oh. And that would make him the lamb of God because rams start out as lambs. And it's really a fascinating idea because when he and Mary Magdalene worked together, he was, in my view, representing and standing truthfully on the premise that we could be just like the divine at any given time with that Christ consciousness. Right. And Mary Magdalene continued that teaching and that legacy. She was even called Mary Lucifera when she lived in France. And she's really a a very prominent figure historically and spiritually and metaphysically in France to this day. In the the, uh, south of France, huh? Yes. We're all all the... Where all the heretics were killed. <laughs> exactly, yes. Later. Yes. And Unfortunately. Their teaching is a big part of what we believe at Unity of Ukaipa, where you and I met doing meditation. And that is simply that we are the embodiment of the Christ light and life on this planet. And we kind of use our physical body as like a filter. So we have to be responsible for not just our actions, but our thoughts and our words and our beliefs as they stand for what the divine feminine reminds us all the time, which is that that which is anointed and holy in this world may have been suppressed, just like the divine feminine has been suppressed, which we will get into soon, but that the human spirit is so much more powerful than anything in its way, just like love mm. is bigger than anything in its way, as Reverend Deanna would say, unity. So the way I the way I see the divine feminine is she is the carrier of the womb space, right? And and if you think of the term womb, W O M B, it sounds like tomb, T O M B, right? Um, yeah. And the word gravid means pregnant, right? In like kind of like a biological way, like a mouse can be gravid, a mouse can be pregnant. We use the scientific term gravidity to describe pregnancy. Well, gravid sounds like grave. And then there's tomb, and then there's the womb. So it's kind of implied that before a baby is born onto this planet, 
the mother of the baby is the bridge through the umbilical cord. She's the she's the bridge between the heavens and the earth for this baby who is about to be born. So it's kind of like a limbo phase. And what the divine feminine is also known for is her ability to rise from the ashes like the phoenix. Oh, okay. Because, you know, there used to be a time when, like, for example, in Merlin Stone's book, When God Was a Woman, from 1976, that the goddess was considered to be so regal and so commanding and so awe-inspiring to the point that in Paleolithic and Neolithic times in the Stone Ages, there's evidence to archaeological digs and, and statues that and, and, and cave writings that the women were seen as being uh, parthenogenically inclined, that they could that they could have uh, they could self progenitor progenitize their own creation, that they were the sole being that created that life that and there was evidence that for for many years that men did not know their role in the procreation process and so women were considered men, to be men, like men never were too bright were they <laughs> <laughs> well that's the thing right that's the beauty of the divine feminine being reawakened in this postmodern age is that the men are looking at how they can be better husbands, better fathers, better brothers, better cousins, whatever the case, better mm-hmm. leaders in the community while honoring the divine feminine in and of themselves, just like the woman needs to make peace with her divine masculine. Yeah, so it's not, uh, divine feminine is not necessarily uh, pertaining strictly to women. Exactly, the, right. The, the, the man, the, the male has uh, also a component of the, the divine feminine. Right, just like with the yin and the yang. Uh-huh. The yin is the feminine and the yang is the masculine. Yin is dark and yang is light, right? So both you know, little figures in that circular symbol have infinite amount of the other in the dot, you know, the black dot and the white dot. There's so many more, like the Mandelbrot set, there's infinitely more divine feminine and divine masculine properties in each side. So once you balance those energies and you reconcile the mind and the heart, if you consider the mind more masculine and the heart more feminine and then the the intermingling of those two, then you're going to have more peace and understanding and wisdom in the world and in your life. Sure. Uh, and I, I, I certainly hope that's what we're seeing happen. Same here. I work, uh, I think I told you, I, I work with um, uh, dom- domestic violence, uh, ma- male uh, perpetrators of domestic violence. And uh, there certainly is a lot in this world right now that's, that's, um, that's not in alignment with that. <laughs> right. You know, so uh, hopefully, hopefully we're changing that as we go along. Absolutely. And I think that women themselves just knowing that their roots are going so far back as as the the misunderstood Eve or the really radically demonized Lilith, you know, Adam's first wife in oh, yeah. the Hebraic teachings that like there is so much more validity in our experiences and the the rising up of the woman and well of just the feminine and and men and women is is almost like it could not have happened 
if there had not been first some repression, if some some kind of incursion of of a different sort of uh, tribal understanding of, like, say, the Levites, um, when they emerged and they kind of took over a lot of the the pagan culture religions mm-hmm. and the goddess temples and and slowly well they they uh, destroyed them yeah they, 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 well they, yeah and they they overran them and then they they demonized the women as like prostitutes and really they were priestesses yeah. and they well that's it that was something I, I meant to throw in when we were talking about Mary Magdalene. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, for a long time, it was. Uh, well, I grew up uh, with the uh, the idea that she was a prostitute, and and actually, that's not accurate at all. <laughs> right, and in in age uh, in the in the year five ninety one, Pope Gregory claimed that. Mary Magdalene was indeed a prostitute, but there's no scriptural evidence for that. Right, yeah. So that's really concerning because, I mean, he may have done, you know, a somewhat of a favor for her because he brought her more into the light. But at the same time, it was denigrating because, mm. you know, she was considered the apostle to the apostles. And she was a d- the primary deliverer of the message, the only deliverer initially when she saw him in the Garden of Gethsemane, when she saw Jesus, that he was risen. And she saw him in the garden, and, it, and at first she didn't, you know, she wasn't sure if it was him or not. And then he told her, it's me, you know, it's uh-huh. your master, and however he said that. And she delivered the news to the apostles, and she became a beacon of light for his mission when uh, you know many many believe that they were actually married um there's you know slews of books about that and they even had children she's called the holy grail right so she she's the carrier of the divine lineage and gene gene party of Uh you know of jesus and that that template alone is so remarkably interesting to explore because she's kind of a mirror for Eve. And Eve's original name that Sophia gave her was Zoe, which means all life, like zoo, like zoology. Uh-huh. And when Eve was told by the serpent that, you know, they were going to have, like, immortal life and that they would know the difference between good and evil well was that serpent really wrong was, was he really or she or he that that being that serpent was it really being deceitful because you know to this day our bodies may disintegrate but our our soul is eternal mm-hmm. and, and we do know the difference between good and evil and right and wrong we can discern that so really was the serpent that wrong to begin with i don't think so and that serpent was a symbol to Eve and to Adam of wisdom, prophecy, and vision. And that serpent came, you know, in, in the timeline. It must have been after Lilith had told Adam, you know, hey, I'm not going to be subservient to you. I'm not going to be submissive in the negative connotation to you, Adam. I'm going to fly away and do my own thing, basically. And she, you know, Lilith was, of course, demonized for being called a succubus 
being called the mother of the spawn of Satan. But Satan, just like Mary Magdalene was called Mary Lucifera, Mary the Lightbringer, the Mary light, yeah. the Enlightener, Satan is another way of saying not just adversary, but goddess, right? So uh, even in uh, The Secret History of Lucifer by Lynn Picknett, 666 is actually the ancient code, the, the expression of Aphrodite or Venus, the Greek or Roman goddess of love, beauty, and, you know, giving of oneself to a man to help him uh, ascend. Because there's so much evidence that a lot of these men during these priestesshoods were actually being anointed by the experience of sacred sex, tantra kinds of things with the woman, with the women that they encountered. And so, even just to say, like, Satan in Hebrew means adversary, but if you break down the word, add to the verse. Adversary. It brings more light to, to, the, to the poetry, the, even the iambic pentameter, the, the real high-level way that we experience uh, discussing the Bible to this day. I mean, you know, like... There was so much validity to just this idea that 666 is the ancient language, ancient code of the goddess. Well, if you look at Revelation, many people believe that's the mark of the beast. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, the, in Revelation, there's also described a, a woman uh, called the Whore of Babylon. And right, she right. It said that the beast is her dragon she's riding. But if you look at it differently, you see that in one chapter, in, in one, one component of Revelation, this, this whore is being burned at the stake, just like kind of like Esmeralda in Hunchback from Notre Dame by Disney in the, the Victor Hugo book. But really, just in the next part in Revelation, it's the bride of God clad in white after the whore clad in red had been burned. So it's kind of like this cleansing, purification in the fire experience that that is shown like just like in Hunchback of Notre Dame. Notre Dame in Latin, in French and in originally Latin, Notre Dame is, uh, means Our Lady. Yes. And when Esmeralda in the Hunchback of Notre Dame, just, just a Disney flick alone, when she's being burned at the stake, she's being labeled a witch. Well, that's, that's the plight of the divine feminine right there if I've ever heard it. Oh, yeah. And she was actually the most kind and compassionate of pretty much any character besides Quasimodo. And she saved Quasimodo in the sense that she brought him the truth and clarity and compassion that he needed to overcome Frollo, the villain. And when Quasimodo, the hunchback, saved Esmeralda from being burned at the stake by Frollo, by the, the villain, he called out sanctuary sanctuary on top of the cathedral and it was so beautifully done she's wearing of course white esmeralda is and she's dark just like many believe that uh mary magdalene was even in the song of song song of solomon the old testament in the bible she says oh ye daughters of jerusalem i am dark but i am lovely i am the lily of the valleys i'm the rose of sharon uh-huh. So that is so compelling to me because it's just like the feminine rising up to claim her rightful role 
as co-creator with the divine masculine, with the God force of it all. And I just think that's so compelling when we look at the, the patriarchy, the patronormativity, that there's been an imbalance for so many years. But wouldn't you agree that the imbalance has caused some unfortunate circumstances to come to light so that we may address it as a human being collective? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, you know, you can go back to um, the, just that, that theory of dialectics, right? Right. Where, where, where opposites uh, uh, come, you know, they, they, one, one, one side of the, the, um, the polarity dominates and then the other comes into, comes into play. And sometimes that at some point, maybe they, they arrive at a synthesis, right? Exactly. And, and maybe, maybe, maybe that's what we're looking at right now. Yeah, I surely hope so. We were talking earlier about the, uh, well, about, you were mentioning uh, before we started this uh, the conversation, the, um, the uh, Kundalini yes. system and, and the, the Eden and the Pingala, the two um, the sides of the um, two halves of the, the um, sympathetic nervous system. And um, those with, with the, uh, the way I understand the, the, the Kundalini uh, teachings, the Kundalini yoga teachings, which I've been practicing for a number of years, um, it's it, it is a synthesis of those two, that that uh, results in an awakening of that that, that kundalini energy, which yes, uh, which um, is is more the central nervous system, right? Right. Yeah. The pingala is the sympathetic nervous system, and the ida is the parasympathetic. So when we experience the fight, flight, or freeze response, uh-huh. and when there's some kind of a danger, there's some kind of issue arising, where we need to take action that system of the of the blood will go to the and all the energy in the body will go to the heart and muscles uh-huh. in order to engage that that experience and 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 survive well and then uh the parasympathetic nervous system will return the energy and the life force to the prana to the, the relaxation response yeah exactly yeah. so it's important that we have both because otherwise we'd succumb to the dangers of this world because you know some would say that we are hardwired to kind of operate in a negative space at times because that's what our ancestors taught us for survival but now we're kind of in this age of like we have in the western world in more advanced societies with so many conveniences that almost we kind of take them for granted too and and for example, we may not even see that, uh, like say, women or black people, whatever, that they're being marginalized. That they're that they're we we may not even notice because of modern day conveniences and and accessibility to information that, you know, we may assume that that we're all accepting, but then you take a harder look and it's like where where are you know implicit biases. And I think a lot of people do have an implicit bias toward the feminine because, you know, that's a curse of the daughters of Eve. It's been around for a long time, hasn't it? Yes. (laughs) It's it's pretty deeply ingrained within our, within our psyches, I think. Right. Uh, What do you, you, uh, what do you think is the the reason for, for um, the kind of patriarchy that still continues in the the postmodern age, you know, when we're, we're supposed to be getting over this stuff. Right. <laughs> I think 
when we talk about these experiences, we're saying that it's so much about control and power and domination. And I think there's sort of an underlying fear that many more distorted masculine leanings that those individuals have is that women are so powerful that we don't even that I'm trying to record okay um, coming back again Ellen uh uh, again, this is the Inner Transformations podcast, uh, and I'm here today with Ellen Drummond Curtis. And uh, just uh, we've been talking about the uh, the divine feminine and uh, uh, the masculine energy, which uh, uh, in a negative sense is a uh, dominant and controlling energy. It's a distorted masculine. Distorted ma- masculine, um, and I you know so we want to have a little bit of time to touch on the uh, the divine masculine. Right. And so, um, divine masculine emerging as a uh, as a, a, a counterpart of the di- divine feminine. How how do you see that happening? A lot of inner child work on both sides, both emanations of the gender. Right. So, what you had asked me before we had an interruption is that we we need to look at kind of the the domination aspect. Um, that is that some men possess that is really ill represented by the the male population and those who identify more masculine and that is that women hold a special gift the ability to carry life that makes her really a strong mouthpiece for for God, for the source, for spirit and the universe. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a level of kind of like an envy, like a jealousy that has arisen sometimes in sure. specifically males sure. that causes them to that that triggers them almost to kind of have this fear based, arrogant sort of reaction to the feminine. And that needs to be addressed because there, I mean, there is a lot of evidence that there was a time when God was a woman that men were being the ones made to be submissive. Like there's even a really cute uh, quote from Boy Meets World, a, a show that I used to watch when I was growing up. And Topanga, the lead female character was saying that the ideal situation for her would be to rule among the other women and have men stored underground for breeding purposes <laughs> and, and I, when I first heard that when I was young I was like wow like could that ever have been because it seems so different now mm-hmm. and really I think there was a time when the goddess was more prominent and that was many eons ago but now you know it seems like we're coming out of this like infantile and amnesia stupor from the the dizzying amount of of destruction that men laid waste to toward women that 
needs to be healed. Well, because we, got, we got tired of being kept underground. <laughs> uh, that well, I mean, hey, you know, more power to you if you want to align with the sacred power that you hold as as men. I just really feel like, even looking at one of the reasons we seem to have more gender delineations now than ever before, is that we have angelic origins as human beings and angels typically as we understand them don't carry one specific sex or gender that they can be more right. neutral that right. like even depictions of archangel well, michael sex, show sex him and, a, sex and uh, i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you i'm just you um, but uh yeah sex and gender pertain to these physical bodies don't they exactly and not to the not to the soul Right, and so there have been depictions of Archangel Michael where he's got, like, kind of feminine face and, like, he's got a chest plate. Sometimes he has what looks like breasts. Um, and and it's, and it's like, well, if there's a Michael, then there's a Michelle. If there's a Gabriel Archangel, then there's a Gabrielle. I think that's one of the reasons we have different wor- different names that can go male or female, like Stephen and Stephanie or whatever the case and because, you know, there's that Trisha McCannon book, Angelic Origins of the Soul. Right. And, you know, when we look at how we can best approach the healing of the masculine, like our question was about initially, then we can essentially render the, the, the tapestry of experience as something that is so worthy of our love and attention if we can find that harmony that balance that homeostasis with the masculine taking a hard look at itself and just being like what can i do to support the feminine and then the feminine can say what can i do to remind the masculine of how it used to be or how it could be or how it is meant to be and and that the used to be as in like when women were it was, it was a natural lineal stepping you know take uh-huh. stepping down of you know the passing the passing down of, of, of riches and dowries and like that it used to be a mother's line not a father's line right, right so if we can just say hey does anyone really need a dowry anymore these days you know like <laughs> uh-huh. and, and and or really you know Go and, and, I've been, and I've been saving up my goats, <laughs> <laughs> and just really honoring that every time I see myself in a mirror, I'm seeing more than just one facet of myself, and I'm seeing the way that a man's ability to take action and take charge can complement the woman's aching need to nurture and to 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 engage actively in in direct conversation with the masculine who needs to be reminded that there's so much more out there awaiting him than just saying like you know that it's it's not worthwhile to to celebrate these two halves into a whole mm-hmm. And I think that when we start having these everyone's, you know, welcome to the table type conversations, then we'll realize that we are better together. We are stronger as one. Mm-hmm. 
And Sophia can finally rest because she's the divine spark generator in all of us, right? She's she's considered, you know, as wisdom, her name means in Greek, you know, philosophy means the love of wisdom, literally, that she can be harnessed and, and she can be made, you know, the the director, the divine director of of our associations with maybe a patriarchal god who punishes and 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 who is wrathful well that's that's actually her offspring y'all the both and that and 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 really to to show that he is understood as being a, a part of an essential part of her history that when Sophia decided to generate a child, that she did so with an anointing, that she had deliberate reason to create the world of matter so that the divine spark could be had in all of us. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, that's, that is such a, um, an interesting mythos of the, mm-hmm. uh, of the divine Sophia. Yes. Why don't, uh, why don't we go ahead and stop here for today? Okay. Is that okay with you? Yes. And uh, thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. much Again, I'm Ellen Drummonds Curtis. Please just engage with me on social media and whatever else, and I'm, I'm Okay, and, uh, well, give your, let, let's, uh, let's give your, your website once again so people can find that. It's ellenchantmentdivinations.com. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you.